Hey, TK Show is sponsored by South County Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram, Northern California's number one volume dealer. Check them out at SouthCountyChryslerJeepDodge.net or drive a little and save a lot in friendly Gilroy. Coming to you from the San Jose Mercury News, the Bay Area News Group, it's the TK Show. Now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. It's Tim Kawakami here. We skipped the name there. Way to go, Paul. Uh, it is my show, the TK Show. This is Tim Kawakami here. We, we, we've been off a little bit, uh, so I think we've got little buttons that are off, a little misalignment. But it's good to come back with a strong show anyway. The guest will make up for our, our obvious weaknesses. Uh, as our guest, a really timely uh, moment here to have on a, a friend of mine, a very, very respected Sports Illustrated media critic, Richard Deitch, is my guest. Richard Richard, how are you doing today? Good to have you on. Tim, an honor to be on one of the uh, West Coast's most popular podcasts. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> Probably ranked anywhere from 1,005 to 15,006 in the iTunes list, but uh, great to have you on. Richard, I just got to say, I was up till 11.51 p.m. West Coast time. Was was that the same on East Coast? Was that the exact same feed we got with si uh, Simone Biles f getting her gold medal floor performance 11.51 p.m. East Coast time and West Coast time? Uh, yeah, that's having you know not remembering exactly when I looked at the clock when uh, when they did a gold uh, medal ceremony. That sounds about right. But you know, I, um, I as I watch these Olympics, I really do have a lot of sympathy for those on the West Coast right. because you know, obviously, in a social media Twitter world, you know the results ahead of time, and that's one thing, and that's sort of the world we live in. But to then have to sit through three hours. Additionally, after the East Coast gets that broadcast, is that is rough. But um, you know, NBC knows, and correctly so, that they're going to get an audience for prime time. Their formula has worked, and even though the ratings are down, they're still drawing over 30 million viewers for the nights with very prominent people like Phelps and the U.S. women gymnasts. So the the formula is not going to change anytime soon because they paid up, you know. A million point three, uh, one one point three billion for this particular Olympics, and they have to make it up. And their best chance to make it up is is through the prime time and through the advertising that they get in prime time. I've been saying this, and it's different than what you're saying. You're much more connected, and, and you're talking to these people, NBC and advertisers. I do think this one might be a threshold year. Now, I'm on the West Coast, so it's it's multiplied for me, obviously. And I guess the West Coast ratings aren't that bad, uh, comparable to everywhere else. And I know some of the highest ratings are still Phoenix and Salt Lake, which are on, on some of the different time zones. But is there any sense that you get from NBC or advertisers that maybe it's going to work profit-wise this year, but four years from now I know Japan's going to be crazy time zone they might have to be forced into something different but that this the social media effect of this is just too powerful to do it again four years later have this kind of delay for the east coast and then another delay for the west coast you sense that at all Richard no I don't I mean I think Tim you sort of hit on it I think because the time zone difference for Tokyo and you know 2018 for South Korea 2022 for Beijing those are terrible time zones for TV. And I think if you're NBC, you look at it as if because we're going to have even less live possibilities, we're going to protect the prime time in terms of viewer 
habits. And I think, you know, this is a part of it is that cord cutting has um, gotten rid of some people who don't have a cable subscription. And I do think there are people who are now used to watching their television via uh, mobile phone or via laptop. But I would say I would go the other way. I, I think NBC for these future Olympics, because I don't know South Korea's, um, uh, you know, time zone off the top of my head or Tokyo's, but, you know, whatever it is, 10 plus or 11 plus hours from the East Coast, it's going to be really bad for NBC. So I think they're going to protect the prime time above all. But again, if you are a, um, if you are savvy in terms of your streaming abilities and the streaming should get better two years from now, four years from now, you're going to be able to watch all this stuff live. You're just not going to get it packaged the way NBC packages the primetime. Now, Richard, obviously the streaming numbers are, are way up. I'm obviously minuscule compared to the primetime numbers. Does NBC make much money off of the streaming? Are, are, are they capable of making money off the streaming? It's a good question. You know, you'd, only, you'd have to know the proprietary uh, numbers to really answer that um, accurately. But a lot of advertisers buy packages into the whole... Olympics. So, you know, you get a spot, at, let's say on the Today Show, you get a spot on Prime mm-hmm. Time and you sponsor, uh, you know, this streaming or this. So, yeah, I think they can definitely make some money on streaming. The ma- the majority of their money, I think it's 70 percent. I may be wrong on that, but I'm, I feel like I either heard NBC tell me that or I read it somewhere is driven through Prime Time. So they will definitely make money um, on some of these digital plays. But the. Uh, very much still the majority of where they make money is um, through primetime. Very similar probably to a place like mine where, you know, you make money on Sports Illustrated, uh, SI.com, but the, the print magazine is sort of still your uh, yeah. your big driver. What will be interesting is let's say come 2024, which could be a uh, California Olympics, where will things be? Will yeah. digital be 50% of their profits and linear TV be 50% of their profits eight years from now? That That's the interesting question is, as more people consume the Olympics um, via mobile devices, via laptops, et cetera, um, can they get enough money to make that, um, it's not going to be as profitable as TV, but to get it at least close. That's an interesting comparison because the Sports Illustrated print product, and you could even say, and NBC would really shudder to think of it to compare it to the newspaper industry, where we're making <laughs> right. you know a vast majority of our profit on on the print edition. Yet that's not where this is all headed. We all know that. God knows all the money's coming to podcasts, Richard. We know that. Um, yeah. But I, I do see when you mention that. I do. See, I mean, again, we've got the crazy time zones coming up. But you had this one on a pretty good East Coast, you know, one hour ahead East Coast time zone. And I'll look at the the macro on this. I think you're killing some interest in the. And I don't I don't want to be alarmist Olympics. I'm not an Olympics guy, but I do love the competition. But there are generations of kids who are not watching the Olympics right now because you're going to watch the kids are going to watch the prime time. They're going to want to watch the women's gymnastics final, and they're not going to be able to stay up that late. Do Do you at all feel like there's a winnowing of what the Olympics were? Like all things were different 20 years ago, as opposed to what they might be when we come back to say we get a California Olympics in 2024. That this this is a spectrum that's kind of changing for everybody, and NBC maybe is looking at a, a model from 12 years ago that might not exist in eight years. I'm not as much of an alarmist on that as others, mm-hmm. um, and I'll tell you why. The one thing about the Olympics um, is it's always it's still draped in patriotism, mm-hmm. which I think attracts generations 
uh, and, and people of different ages. So I don't think it's like a baseball thing because I think you can, let's say you weren't watching the Olympics as a 15-year-old. I do think, depending on where you are in your life, you may then jump on it as a 30-year-old yeah. because it has the patriotism aspect. The other thing that the Olympics can do, which they've done, is they can add sports that, uh, that are specifically geared towards young people. Look what they've done in the Winter Olympics, yeah. you know, Snowboard X and things like that. So unlike a singular sport, they have some options where they can try to bring sports in that are really specifically geared towards under 35s. And then finally, at least for the summer, Tim, there's always going to be sports that I think attract young people. I mean, basketball is still going to be a big part of the Olympics. There's still going to be these great NBA players. And that, to me, is always going to, um, that's always going to drive a young audience. I think there's always going to be swimming stars who are in there teens or 20s that young people can attract themselves to. But the, rea- the real uh, thing, and you hit on this right, is it, it is the Olympics is in a danger position of when one of the signature moments of the games, um, a Simone Biles winning the all-around title, like that thing you know, concludes at 1130 at night. But my sense is, and this is just a pure anecdotal sense, I think a lot of parents especially, you know, we're talking about, let's say, kids between the ages of like 8 and 15, my sense is that they'd let them stay up or something like that. And so I don't think, I'm not as alarmist on the Olympics is losing a generation of sports fans the way I think something like uh, baseball is like yeah. a really legitimate issue. And I know from my brief time as a, as a sports media critic, it was fun, but it was brief, that you always get PR pushback, especially from NBC and the Olympics. What, what's been the NBC pushback on this? What what have they been highlighting to you, being Richard Deitz, the, the preeminent sports critic in, 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 in media circles? What are they trying to circle to you? Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, I, I I know people call me that. Boy, boy do I hate the word critic because I always think it's like a theater. Uh, I'm sure you probably do too. It's like a theater dude yeah, going to like Broadway and like wearing a tweed jacket. I like sports media writer, but there you go. people want to call me a critic. Okay. That's, uh, you know, that's that's fine. Um, it hasn't been that bad. Um, you know, I, I, I having covered this now for you know a decade, I know all the people I deal with at NBC, and so you know we I sort of live with them. So they're the pushback on me. I think is not going to be as great as it will be on like um, those who are sort of parachuting in. Mm-hmm. the What NBC is trying to push, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Tim, is that they, they are pushing a metric which um, consists of not just the NBC coverage, the old, which we, they call linear, basically, meaning linear TV, not just the NBC primetime, but a combination of the NBC coverage, what else is, being, what else is um, airing on cable during primetime, so Bravo, and NBCFN, and then their online figures. And they're sort of combining all that to give you like a total audience um, metric. And that's the number they're trying to push because naturally that is a higher number than just the NBC-only primetime. Now, I don't, listen, I understand why they're doing that, and I don't think they're lying, but but they're just sort of like, you know, in the middle of the Olympics, they're sort of just pushing this new (laughs) metric out. Why? Because they know that's a better story than just the NBC numbers, which are down from London. What I think this all sort of strikes me as is I think London turns out to be an anomaly. And I don't know if that's because we're Anglophiles or um, because um, uh, maybe Americans just like, um, they just particularly were interested in those games because, you know, they've either been to England or it's one of our closest allies or um, the country just, there's just an affinity for 
that country, but the numbers for London were off the charts. And I think NBC, and understandably so, looks at Rio and they're like, the time zone is better. We're going to get these kind of numbers, if not more. Um, and it didn't happen. Maybe the run-up prior to the games with all the um, stuff on crime and Zika and pollution, maybe that hurt. But I, I, I have to be honest with you, and I wrote this in print, so I'll own it. I was totally wrong. I, hmm. I thought this was going to be the most watched Olympics of all time in terms of on an average uh, viewership per night, and it hasn't happened. The numbers are still very good. Yep. Um, if you just look at it independently, like if you get 30 million people watching anything, yep. that's an NFL game. Yep. But NBC definitely thought this was going to top London, and it hasn't. It's just it. Um, so the PR pushback is going to be stop knocking us for uh, our declining ratings. We're kicking ass on every other network during these 17 days, and you're not being fair in terms of all the consumption that's happening away from NBC. That's that's their spin, and that's their pushback. Oh, that sounds also familiar <laughs> from my year and a half on that thing. Yeah, you did you did a, a kind of a midpoint. Uh, analysis of what you've liked and haven't liked so far in the TV. I don't want you to repeat all that, but just give like one maybe under the radar moment or announcer or something that you've really appreciated from the NBC broadcast so far. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it won't be under the radar. I, I happen to just think that I think their swimming coverage has been excellent. Yeah. Um, and I think probably the reason I think it's excellent is because I've seen it live. Now, you don't get swimming live <laughs> on the West Coast, which must suck. Yeah. And I can totally empathize with you. But having to slog through the soap opera narrative of gymnastics, which is, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I admire the athletes, but the Al Troutwig, Tim Daggett, Nastia Lukin, like soap opera narrative that they present, it's a lot to take. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a little false drama. It's, you don't, I never feel like I learned anything about gymnastics from that trio. Um, but swimming is different. I think Hicks and Gaines are an excellent team. I think they provide you with information as well as excitement. The fact that I'm seeing it on the East Coast live is really, really important. I feel mm -hmm. like it's the one thing at the Olympics where I'm like, man, like I, this. I feel like I'm there, even though I'm not there. And obviously, they've been helped by Michael Phelps continuing to do amazing stuff, and Katie Ledecky, basically, you know, greatest female swimmer of all time. And then they got lucky in terms of, you know, you got yourself a beautiful Cold War rivalry yep. between, you know, Lily King and the Russians. So they've gotten, you know. Simone Manuel becomes the first African-American to win an individual gold medal in swimming. So not only has that coverage been good, I think NBC's gotten lucky, and that storylines have been awesome. So I've really enjoyed the swimming coverage during these uh, Olympics. The gymnastics has been tough, and um, I will say this, Tim, and I'm sure you're with me on this. There really is nothing more um, uh, thrilling is to watch an incredible swimming moment one of the great moments in Olympic history, and now let's go to Ryan Seacrest, <laughs> who tells you about sandcastles on yeah, a beach. Yeah. I mean, this is where NBC becomes just beyond frustrating when they do stuff like that. But the deal is, they make primetime an entertainment show, mm -hmm. and I think for people like me and you, we want we want a sporting event. It is especially fun, Richard, as you can imagine, when it's on tape delay and we're waiting for the women's gymnastics, which is, took place seven hours earlier, and then we That's see right. Ryan Seacrest. That is a special level of hell, I guess. And, and yeah, I, 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 I must... I, <laughs> I was going to be interrupted, yeah. Tim. I say I must say I enjoy tweeting on. Uh, I, I enjoy sending out tweets to the West Coast, just basically saying you know Kerry Struggs made the ball, <laughs> or the Mary, Mary Lou Rhett just nailed it on the ring. Just to stick it to the NBC PR people. I I fully fully appreciate that. It, I, I I would say 
again, I don't know. Japan's going to be strange. If, if there was another one coming up like Rio on that sort of time, or even London within six or seven hours of the West Coast, I would say that might be the end of the, that they would not tape delay for the West Coast. I think this that might be the point where they would say, that's it, we can't do it. But because it's Tokyo, because it's a crazy time zone difference, maybe it won't be. But I think this might have been the last time you could do this on a normal Olympics for the West Coast, because I, I can't imagine it happening again like this. We'll see. I mean, I'll talk. And what, what I, I'll tell you something I'm really fascinated by. Let's assume Los Angeles gets 2024. Mm-hmm. What will the time, the start times be for things like swimming, swimming, gymnastics, and um, track? Because will NBC try to make that East Coast friendly, or will they make it where the event should traditionally be during the Olympics? And I'll be really fascinated by that. Um, you know, do you start swimming at 9 o'clock Eastern, which is 6 o'clock Pacific, which is not really a friendly time for the Pacific, or do you try to make it more palatable for the for the Pacific viewers and, and make it a 7 o'clock start on the, um, on the West Coast, but then it's 10 o'clock on yeah. the East, and can you keep people watching live stuff till 11.30? So if L.A. gets those 2024 games, I mean, NBC is going to do phenomenal business because yep. stateside Olympics. I'll be fascinated by the start times because that is where NBC is going to negotiate with the IOC to try to figure out the best possible way to maximize viewers. And in eight years, what, if there is a game, who knows what the, what the media landscape is going to be like then. I'm not even correct, sure where, 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 where I will be. I think you'll be just fine. I don't know where I'm going to be. Just just to, as your spot, the work you do, I'm always curious about this because, again, I got some of these calls, certainly not on the same magnitude. Uh, what what are the things you hear when you write about you hear about most from the networks? What, what are the things that they're most particularly sensitive about when you write? Um, that's a good question. Um, they're they're certainly sensitive about how they come off in terms of issues of race and gender mm-hmm. um, and tolerance. They're very sensitive, honestly, about viewership and ratings. I mean, you wouldn't think so, but um, but they are. They're sensitive when you write about specific people at their networks, um, the per- people who have more juice internally. I'll, I'll hear more pushback from. So um, there are certain people. If I'm writing about them at ESPN or NBC, I'll I'll hear from the networks more than if I'm writing about somebody who, um, quite frankly, doesn't have the same standing. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'll hear from the. Uh, PR department. The one, I don't know if I want to sort of say it's an advantage, but having worked, having done this now for a while, I have a lot of relationships with the talent. Mm. And I think the talent, and I'm not patting myself on the back here, but I think the people I write about um, think I'm fair. I, I mean, listen, you know my opinion on people who I think are uh, loathsome, like Skip Bayless and mm. others. I don't pretend that. But as a general rule, I think if I'm writing about people, I think people think I'm fair. So a lot of times talent will reach out to me. And what Tim, and I know you've dealt with this too on just, you know, you're a columnist, you you cover athletes and, you know, I I used to cover the Bills and Sabres, so I I have have that experience. The PR people get a little bit uncomfortable when the talent contacts you because it takes out their middleman position. And many times that's where my conflict with PR comes from, Hmm. is when either I reach out to the talent because I have a relationship with them, or talent reaches out to me and it eliminates PR 
And that's when it gets tricky because PR would say, why don't you go through our office? And as a journalist, I would say, I don't work for you. Yep. My job is to contact the person I'm writing about. It, I would almost say that if I go through your office, that's more of a professional courtesy thing uh, than anything else. But you don't go through me all the time when you're making decisions. Yep. So yep. Um, that's where I think the conflict can come, Tim, is when, um, when a broadcaster contacts me or I contact a broadcaster directly without going through the PR department. That's when they get a little bit uh, antsy about all this. All right, we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Dear Honda, Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet, Kia, Nissan, Subaru, and Smart Buyers, do you want more car for less? Shop and compare at South County Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. Why buy an expensive Sienna or Odyssey when you can get a 2017 Chrysler Pacifica? Why get a Ram 4 when you can get a 2016 Cherokee? Jeep Renegade, $18,999. Grand Caravan, just $16,999. Jeep Patriot, for only $10,999. Wow, why would you buy anywhere else? Well, I was going to bring this up a little bit later. You brought up Bayless, who I used to work with for, for a little bit of time in San Jose Mercury News. Uh, I imagine you don't have much contact with him. Do, do, you, do you ever feel like maybe you, just by mentioning him, you're, you're kind of playing into his game? Is to, it's almost a Trump-like thing. He's trying to get himself into people's conversations. But the, the crazier possibility, whatever Tebow does, he's going to push it 10 times 10. You, you ever worry about that? Fair question. And I think, yeah, um, Here's the, I've made peace with it, but I think anyone who says that uh, to me, say by mentioning him or tweeting about him or writing about him, you're just giving him more power. I concede that. I think that's fair. At this point, and it's been this way for a couple of years, a lot of people think like sort of I'm obsessed with Bayless. It's not really the case. A lot of times when I'm tweeting about, not I shouldn't say a lot of times, every time now I tweet about him or write about him, it's for the management who hires the guy. Yep. I don't really care if Skip Bayless reads my tweets or what he thinks. I mean, in fact, I... I, I know for a fact he dislikes me, he should. Um, I would feel the same way as he does. But I'm doing it because if I can just make an executive uncomfortable about the, the fraud and con that they have perpetuated on viewers, that makes me happy. So there's no doubt that there's probably a part that sort of gives the lunacy power, but I, um, and maybe I've just sort of, um, maybe I'm, uh, I'm making an agreement with myself that's sort of a fake agreement, but I would rather sort of call out the management, which prior to Fox Sports 1 was ESPN, for doing this con that they know they're doing, um, as opposed to not mentioning it at all. But I, I totally concede that um, if you give some of these hot take takes, uh, you know, if you sort of if you if you react to them or if you mention them, you are giving these people sort of the power by acknowledging that they exist, but. I, Tim, I know you write about this as well, and I think me and you share the same viewpoint. Like, they do exist. Yep. And there are networks and newspapers that have paid people a lot of money essentially to either be professional contrarians or to just say stuff for nothing more than reaction. So I'd rather not run away from it. And if it bothers me, I feel better at least in terms of mentioning that it bothers me rather than being an ostrich and, and not thinking about it. To me, it really it almost feels like Trump uh, in some weird other way. Like Brian Stetler right now, you know, he's he's like saying, "Forget about it. I, I, I've got to call this guy out every single time," and and right. I, and I respect and I appreciate that. At some point, you do need, you know, immediate forced pushback on absolute garbage. Is is Fox Sports one succeeding w with the Bayless Gambit in any way at this point? 
No, not viewership wise. No, I mean he hasn't started yet. So to be okay, fair, I didn't, even, I didn't even know. That's how, that's how yeah, bad. He yeah, starts, yeah. He, start, he starts in September, um, but they're, you know, they're they're um, loosely based theory that there's a demand or a need for a Fox News of sports. I think is a um, is an incorrect thesis. There, Jamie Horowitz, who runs Fox Sports One, his sort of thesis is that. The highlights show is dead. I don't think it's dead, but it, it's definitely a different uh, audience for that, much less than it used to be. He's really referring to Sports Center, but he's saying in lieu of that, there's a demand for hard-edged opinion about sports, and I'm going to bring you the differentiators to bring you those sports. What I totally think he's incorrect on is one: in the '90s, there was a demand for conservative news because it didn't exist. CNN tried to play it down the middle. There was no place for uh, someone like a Hannity or O'Reilly or people like-minded like that to sort of um, get those views espoused on national TV on a daily basis. When it comes to sports, Tim, and I think you would agree with me on this, is there a city in America right now that does not that lacks for a of like opinions either on sports talk radio or their newspaper? No. It's just it's not a there's not a demand. So yeah. then, if you extrapolate it further, the question is. Okay, the only way then we could get viewers is to bring in people who are difference makers who you want to watch for hours and hours talk about sports. And as of now, Fox Sports 1 has not uh, brought those difference makers over based on viewership. And I would just finally say that I think you have to be careful about people who are popular on ESPN, leading ESPN and maintaining that popularity. Dan Patrick might be one who pulled it off, but... As a general rule, ESPN is where the power lies, not not the individual talent. And so while I think Bayless will draw some audience, I, I think it is preposterous to think that the people who have watched ESPN and keep ESPN on their um, dial for 25 years are going to all of a sudden at 10 o'clock leave ESPN2 to go to FS1 because Skip Bayless is now on FS1. I just beat Viewer and behavior habits do not change like that. So I, I think it is a, I think it's a gambit that in the end is going to fail. Coward doing any numbers at all over there? He, the one thing about Coward is that he provided them with hours, um, which they needed. They mm -hmm. they didn't have any kind of, uh, um, they had very little traction on Fox Sports Radio. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's mostly a West Coast play. So maybe you know some of those. Uh, some some of the some of the talent, but we don't really get it here on the East. Mm -hmm. um, so he provided them, if nothing else, with a three-hour show that they can sort of put the network around, and then he provided them with hours on Fox Sports One. They simulcast the show um, for three hours, and then he has another show that he does with Whitlock for an hour, and then they replay, which in itself is hilarious, the best of Colin Coward <laughs> um, on the network. So that's Coward like Howard Stern. That's Howard Stern, like. Exactly. Yeah. So Coward is almost being paid as much for the hours he provides in um, programming as he is for ratings. His ratings are not great, but at least I understand that move because they they had voids to fill, and he's filling them. But no, he is he has not been some kind of game changer where um, you know hundreds of thousands of people are checking out his uh, afternoon show. I think that show. You know, draws fifty, sixty thousand viewers uh, a day as a general rule. 
Yeah, I just I just don't watch that. I mean, I think there's some decent stuff on that network. I, I do not watch it. I wanted to get to the Warriors real fast. I, I I know you've written some things on the way the networks are approaching this coming season. I've said it many times. I I think this is going to be the single most, you know, covered, obsessively over aggressively overreacting uh, season in the history of, you know, American sports. Uh, do do networks feel that way? And and how do you feel this thing's going to be different just from a network? Uh, uh, national publication viewpoint of what's going to happen with Kevin Durant joining the 73-win team. Well, Tim, first, before I answer this, can you please tell Raymond Ritter that I've requested Steve Kerr for my podcast? Will Raymond Ritter get back to me? I've praised the guy as basically being the best PR guy in the NBA. He's not returning my email. I can't so believe I that. That's, that's, un- that's unfortunate. If anything that is productive from this podcast is that, Raymond Ritter, please, please get, get, Raymond back, Ritter. Yeah, get back to Richard. You're important. Tell him to at least reject, Richard. Tell him to at least reject me. Um, I think the Warriors are um, a fascinating team this year who will absolutely be – I don't even think, Tim, I wouldn't call, say they're overcovered. I will mm-hmm. think I think they will be covered correctly. Yeah. Like the Keen a couple of years ago, they are the most interesting team in the NBA given the fact that when have we seen a superstar uh, – not just a superstar, one of these superstars in his prime move to a team that is already this good. It's never happened. So um, leagues are driven by star teams. Leagues are driven by stars. The Warriors deserve all the coverage they get. They will be absolutely monstrously overcovered. They're going to appear on national TV, whatever it is, 30-plus times. The league will add uh, to that total during the season for sure, especially if they're on some kind of record pace. You'll see more. You'll see ESPN and Turner and, the N- and NBA TV ask for more games, and they will get them. Um, I think, um, you know, it's probably not, it's not like ESPN is going to do a, a heat index like they did for the Heat when LeBron joined Wade and Bosh, but but – but the big boys are going to have loads of coverage on the Warriors. I know at my place, we have Chris Ballard, who's a mm, Bay yep. Area person. Lee Jenkins is based in L.A. Yep. We're going to have a ton. We're going to we're going to cover the Warriors. I guarantee more than any other team in the NBA, uh, probably forty by forty percent. And I think it's warranted. It's um, the the NBA is a great league to cover, and it's a star driven league. The, the team that you cover is. You know, it's the closest thing I think that we're going to have to the '90s Bulls. Yep. So yeah, it's. I mean, people are going to get sick of them, but I'm not one who is a hater on this. I think, I think people are interested, and I think you got to cover them. So it, they are far and away the most national team in the NBA. One of the one of the most national teams in all of media, and I think they're going to get the kind of coverage the Heat did when LeBron first went down to Miami. Yeah, I think it's going to even be a more. But, you know, again, I don't even know how we can balance all that, but just because of the just the, the writers you talk about, the, the, the West Coast nature of it, I just think there's going to be, uh, this is going to be already, it, from the Olympics you're seeing, this, this, how does this translate to what the Warriors are going to do? It, it, we're, right. we're going to, well, the one, that, the, one thing, the one thing that's great about the Warriors, though, is I think unlike Miami, they have a reputation, and probably a lot of this has to do with Kirk, too, they have a reputation of maybe being the most media-friendly yeah. team in the league. I know Steph is a great guy in terms of being a superstar to give media time. So it's a team that not only is deserving of coverage, but I think they're they're unique in that they kind of welcome the press. So if you add those two things together, I, I think I mean I think we're talking is, just incredible coverage. That is a great point, and I I, I could talk to Richard. I could talk forever on on these subjects and many others, but I I got to wrap it up with my standard question of all my guests, Richard Deitch. What's your favorite restaurant? Tim, I'm going to give you two. All right. 
One, I'll give you my New York favorite restaurant, which is Union Square Cafe, okay. very well-known restaurant, one of the most popular restaurants in New York. Uh, if you're visiting the city, mm-hmm. uh, I would absolutely encourage Sounds that. The good. best pizza place in New York, by the way, Sal and Carmine's on West 102nd and Broadway. $3 slice, but well worth it. And then, because I used to live in Buffalo, I have to give a shout-out to Duff's on Sheridan, okay. which is, in Buffalo, people... Uh, there's always this sort of, uh, you know, debate about where's the best Buffalo Wings. Anchor Bar is the home yep. of Buffalo Wings. It's the, it's the place where it was first originated. But for anyone who is a true chicken wing connoisseur, Duff's on Sheridan is the best place for Buffalo Wings in the United States. So Union Square Cafe, Sal and Carmine's for a slice, and Duff's on Sheridan for chicken wings in Buffalo. That was very efficiently done, as only you can do, Richard. I really appreciate that. And I think I'm going to be in Buffalo with the 49ers this season. So I am nice. going to check that one check out that for out. sure. Listen, been great to have you on, Richard. Uh, I really wanted to talk some Olympics, and you're the man to talk to. The television has been – I've tried to refrain from getting too frustrated about it because I, I get why NBC does it. I understand it's a dollars. It's it's the way to draw the kind of, the you know, the, the casual fan. But, man, in the, in the West Coast, it is just brutal. So uh, I wanted to talk that out a little bit. I think West Coast fans will be interested to hear what you said. Richard, I appreciate it. I thank you very much for being on. And uh, we'll try to do this one again. Tim, I, it's always an honor to be on the uh, 1100th ranked podcast on iTunes. So thank you very much. This might p- jump us up to about, you know, maybe 994th. I'm hoping. I- I'm hope. Fingers are <laughs> crossed. All right, Richard, thanks a lot. Thanks, Tim. All right, everybody. That's Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated, a really great guy. And, uh, we, we could talk Olympics for on and on and on. Uh, Olympic TV is such a big part of this whole time frame and how we deal with it, and Richard uh, knows it better than anybody. So great to have him talking on, great talk Warriors, all these other things, and, and maybe even a little skip Bayless there. So we should just do a podcast. Just uh, the people here are used to work with him talking about Skip, but maybe another time. All right, everybody, that's TK Show for today. Thanks. Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet, Kia, Nissan, Subaru, and Smart Buyer. Do you want more car for less? Shop and compare at South County Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. Why buy an expensive Sienna or Odyssey when you can get a 2017 Chrysler Pacifica? Why get a Ram 4 when you can get a 2016 Cherokee? Jeep Renegade, $18,999. Grand Caravan, just $16,999. Jeep Patriot, for only $10,999. Wow! Why would you buy anywhere else?